Thank you, Gabe, and, uh, and for your leadership there in, in that ministry. And to seniors, hats off. Um, now begins the real work, so the easy part's over, right? And uh, so we congratulate you guys. Let me introduce myself. My name is Brian. Um, most of the time, they keep me hidden over in the equipment campus, so uh, I, I get to come over and hang out with you guys today and uh, get to dive into God's Word with you. Uh, continue to keep uh, Pastor David in your prayer. This week, he spent uh, time in Boston uh, and was on a mission trip up there working with church planners uh, and really pray for that city. One of the things that he said was, uh, there's just a, a, an atmosphere um, there that's really dark. And so continue to pray for uh, him as he's ministering, but also for Boston. And then uh, he had an awesome opportunity uh, this weekend. He's spending with his family, and uh, he was marrying, I think, one of his uh, cousins and, uh, and having a fun time celebrating weddings. And so seniors, you know, that's down the road. All the parents are like, yep, at least four or five years of college, get that out of the way, and then start thinking about that stuff. So... Guys, we're happy to be here today. It's going to be an awesome time as we look in God's Word, and um, hopefully what we look at today uh, is really going to make an impact in your life. Uh, one of the things that we share over there uh, in equipment is every time we look in God's Word, we want to take that information. It's not just an educational pursuit. We're not here just to gain information and walk out the door and say, wow, that was really good, and then never think about it again. So I challenge you as we look at the Word today... Focus on how it applies to your life. Focus on uh, laying it over uh, what you experience every single day and even what you see and what you think and what your views are. And do they truly align with the identity of being a redeemed person of Jesus Christ? So before we dive into that, let's pray and, uh, and then we'll look at his word. God, we thank you again uh, this morning that we can celebrate uh, just the accomplishment of these uh, young adults, and God, as they enter into um, the next phase of their life, uh, God, that you will be forefront uh, in their decision-making. God, that they will retain and, uh, and, and grow in their identity in you. God, I thank you for the testimonies that I heard this morning in that video of, of their walk with Christ. And God, as we look at uh, your word today, let us be challenged with how we perceive things, how we see things uh, in our community and in our world that we see it through your eyes. So God, we dedicate this time to you this morning, and we want to give you the glory and the honor in everything we do. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, guys, we live uh, in a world uh, that's really just in a philosophical turmoil. I mean, it's, it, it's one side to another. We, we turn on the news, and uh, we're given viewpoints. We're given positions. Uh, we open up our Facebook and, and Twitter and Instagram or whatever uh, thousand other social media outlets we have, and someone is, uh, is demonstrating their opinion. Someone's demonstrating their philosophy on the way they see the world. And I tell you, as we uh, think about how we view the world and what this impact it has on us, sometimes we don't even realize it. And when we consider the things of what it means to find our identity in Christ, what it means to be a follower of Christ, it means that, that we are aligning with His philosophy. We're aligning with His truth. You know, and over the last uh, 100 years or so, there's been so many advances um, in the study uh, whether it's philosophical approaches or psychology and understanding how the mind works and all that stuff, I tell you, there's so many impacts that we don't even realize sometimes. One of the people that invest a lot of energy into this is your advertising 
And uh, for any of those who may have marketing backgrounds and be a marketing major perhaps in college, there's a lot of science that goes into selling products. They think about how we as, a, as people are going to respond to something being presented. And humanity has some base needs. We have some base ideas that we lock into and that we desire. And in the Bible, in the Word of God, he yeah, is clearly illustrated that's our fleshly desires. Even tells us following the heart is not a wise idea. You can't just follow your feelings. You can't follow what feels good because it's going to lead you to a place a lot of times that's not in line with our identity in Christ. And over the last hundred years, we've seen a move from uh, a concept called modernism. Modernism came about in the, in the beginning of the 19th century, and it was an idea that really rejected the confines of, of this uh, rules and regulations. And, and really, the only way that you can truly express yourself and the only way that you can truly understand yourself is to cast off all those, uh, those burdens of rules and morality. And you can determine your own reality. And this has really evolved into and morphed into what we call postmodernism now. And let me just read some of these characteristics, and you tell me if this isn't where we're at as a community and where we are as a world. You know, while postmodernism encompasses a broad range of ideas and projects, it's typically defined by an attitude of skepticism or distrust toward grand narratives, ideologies, and various tenets of rationality, including the existence of objective realities and truth as well as notions of rationality, human nature, and progress. In other words, they're saying those things, those generalities don't exist. You need to identify and study these things and reject this information that has been told to you as simply uh, cumbersome and what someone has infused into your mind as truth. You need to discover truth on your own. And while this uh, pursuit of knowledge and truth uh, uh, it really is defined by where they find it in their social media outlets, in uh, the media. They look at historical truths. They look at the political discourse and interpretation. And, and therefore, what their perception becomes, what our perception becomes a lot of times is contextual. We perceive truth as we want to see it, not how truth really is. When we look at this, the postmodern thought is broadly characterized by tendencies of moral relativism, pluralism, self-preference, and a focus on subjectivity. In other words, what feels good to me is what feels good to me, and you have no right to tell me what is right or wrong. There is no absolute truth. This is the message that's being communicated in our culture today. Now I'm going to tell you, I'll give you a quick example. We could go into, and if I've got any philosophy majors in here, we could have a great discussion I'm going to give you a real quick illustration about how there is absolute truth in the world. It's not relative. It's not subjective. It does exist. Last night, my family and I, we were hanging out. We even got caught by a couple people who went through the drive-thru. But we were at Dairy Queen. Um, hey, school's out. It's summer, right? So there's no bedtimes anymore. And um, yeah, that's dad's rules. Don't tell mom. Um, so we all went out and we got ice cream at Dairy Queen. Well, you know, as we're leaving... I go out into the parking lot, there's several Ram trucks out there. Now, the truth is, I have to pick and I have to find, as I navigate through the parking lot, which one is mine. Here's the truth. I can go up to a truck and maybe it looks identical to mine, and maybe uh, I'm attempting to open it and get into this vehicle that does not belong to me. 
And the police show up and say, what are you doing? There is no argument to where I can tell that officer, this truck is mine and also not mine at the same time. There's only one truth. It either is or it isn't. I either own it or I don't. I'm either on the title or I'm not. There is absolute truth in the world. That's not relative. It's not subjective. It's not, I can't look to the police officer and say, well, that's just your interpretation of the reality. This is my truck today. But we do that. When God presents truth to us and we are convicted in our heart, what do we tell God? You don't understand my situation. You don't understand that this doesn't feel good, that I want to do this, I want to be this way. You don't know how I was raised. You don't know my values. You don't know my worldview. Does it change the fact that it's either your truck or it's not your truck? There is absolute truth. And I tell you, as we are called uh, as the redeemed of this world, we are not of this world. And this is illustrated in John chapter 8, verse 31 through 34. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. So how is it that you say you'll become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. These are absolute truths. And he goes on to continue to teach his disciples in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. These are truths that Jesus is teaching. These are absolute. These aren't up for debate. It's not that maybe your approach uh, in, in, our, uh, in our willingness to try to become righteous for God, that is not His desire. And that is not His truth. His truth is that we can only attain righteousness because of the blood that was shed for us. As we look at verses that Paul was speaking in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What he's telling us uh, every single day we have to commit to looking at our world. We have to view it through the truth of what God says. There is an objective reality. There is a benchmark. There is something that we can lay and say, this is the standard. So many scientific tests, you have to have a baseline in order to determine what and, and how your experiment is proceeding. If you don't, it's all relative, right? It doesn't matter because there's no standard. I'm telling you in our lives, guys, we have a standard that we need to overlay on and see if we're meeting or not. We need to look at our world and our perceptions and our desires through the eyes and the identity of who we've been called to be. And that's what we're looking at today. In our continuing series here on being uh, identity and, and understanding who we are, one of the characteristics uh, of finding ourselves as being the redeemed, of being set apart, is that uh, we are a bondservant. Now, I've heard this term you know, used several times, and uh, whether you use the Greek or the, or the Hebrew, it's used a lot of times. Um, and so when we look at this verse, we're going to dive into what does that mean and what the characteristics of being a servant are. So Ephesians chapter 6, that's where we're going to be looking today. 
And as you turn uh, to that passage in your Bible, we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 8. So turn with me, if you will, uh, and as we read together, listen to this objective truth that we've been given. In Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 5, it says, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Now, that term, like I said, that's not one you use every single day, I would imagine. Uh, I don't think you go around telling your boss you're a bondservant. Um, but as we look at that, a bondservant, by definition, um, is an indentured servant to their master, to their employer. They owe a debt, and they are working at the complete will and disposal of that boss. As we think about our lives, and we think about, the, that's the definition of the the Greek word doulos, you may have heard of that before. And that's what it means to be one that is subservient to, one that's completely and fully engaged with their boss. They're doing and fully aligned with the vision of where this uh, is going and who they're working for and are in complete and full support. The Hebrew word for bondservant is abed, and what that means uh, basically in this connotation um, is the same sort of thing, but I want to illustrate where this is used in Scripture. In Exodus 21, verse 5 through 6, it says this, in the, in the idea of being this servant. In verse 5, it says, If the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and children, and do not want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door of the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl, and then he will be his servant for life. Now, we're not going to be nailing anybody's ears to a doorpost today, okay? Let me just tell you this. That was a permanent mark. What do you think when that servant went to the marketplace and people saw that mark? When they saw that identification of who that person is? Everybody in that community knew this was a servant who loved his master so much. He had the opportunity to walk away. He had the opportunity to be free of his master, but he loved him so much. He was so committed to his master that he identified himself in this way and wanted to follow his master wherever he went. Guys, I wonder if we would be willing to go through that identification mark. Would we be willing to stand up in our community and when people look at us, they say, wow, that person really follows Jesus. That person really looks like Jesus. I don't want people to say, wow, that person looks like a great church member. Look how holy they look. That's not what we're about. It's not about putting on a show. It's about being the church. It's about identifying and living our identity in who Jesus is. And we'll be willing to sacrifice and pursue Him in this way. I tell you, there's three characteristics that every bond servant represents. And, and one, uh, before we even jump into those, let me just say this, that when we look at being a servant of God, that that is an honorable position. When we serve 
the one who has redeemed us, who has bought us out, the one who was pierced for our transgressions, the one who shed his blood for us, the one that redeemed us, who bought us out of death and gave us life. When we say, Lord, we submit to your authority, we submit to your will, what, we're, uh, what we are aligning with is honorable. What we're aligning with is a privilege. And so when we think about serving God and in, in the different aspects of life that this occurs, I want you to really think about your heart. And as we look at these next three characteristics, um, they're challenging. And I know when, when David preaches here and, and I get the opportunity over in Quitman, you know, this message is preached to us first. So don't think we don't struggle with this as well. We're not, we haven't figured it all out. So if I ruin the illusion, I'm sorry. We're in this with you. And the only standard that we have in life that we can apply and we have to remind ourselves is the truth that never changes. And when we have that foundation and we have that uh, place where we can launch off of, we can look to what it means to be a servant of God. So think about your lives and do these characteristics exist? The first one we're looking at is in verse 5 of our original passage, Ephesians 6. And the first characteristic is a sincere heart. Are we here for the right reasons? Do you live your life daily for the right reasons? Are you being real? Are you being authentic? Are you being sincere? Or is it just a show to impress somebody? Is it a show to impress our parents? Or is it a show to impress our neighbor? Or is it a show to impress our spouse? Do we dive into God's Word? Do we study? Do we live every single day to impress someone around us? Or is it a real pursuit of righteousness in our own heart? So when we look at this, look at verse 5. It says, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. The real question is, do we serve, uh, do we work at our jobs? Do we serve God? Do we do it with the right heart? You think about that in your employment this week as you're working. Those days when your boss uh, makes you mad or a customer makes you mad or whatever it is. Do we lose our cool? Do we lose our identity? Do we result to what feels good for me? And I'm justified because they said that about me so I can cuss them out. I can say all those things about them. I can write a big long rant on Facebook and I can get 58 likes. That means 58 people are on my side of the argument. And I feel validated. Are we so motivated by that or, or do we look at it with a sincere heart and say, you know what? Jesus told me that when somebody wrongs me, when somebody slaps me in the face, I'm supposed to turn the other cheek. Do you know how hard that is? Let somebody slap you and see what you do. You know, that muscle memory is going to be like this. You know, it's going to ball up real quick. Somebody slaps you. But, man, Jesus is telling us to embrace that. Even his disciples asked him. They said, okay, well, the law says we've got to forgive somebody how many times? Seven Jesus says, yeah, that's what it says. But what I'm telling you is 70 times 7. And that doesn't mean you count up 490 and then beat somebody up. He's telling you that we have to embrace a sincere heart. We have to embrace this idea of serving. Honoring God with everything we do. That means as you're working, as you're going to school, as you're enjoying your summer, if you're on break now, or as you prepare for a next step in life, it doesn't matter. Whatever we do, we do all to glorify God. We're serving Him. And maybe by being Christ-like, you can impact a boss who doesn't know who Jesus is. 
Maybe they can see the truth that's reflecting in your life. And Christ used that to light up their life and to show them they're in a need of a Savior. Do we serve with a sincere heart? Let me just take this moment because there are so many. I was watching this morning uh, and uh, all the different ministries that happen to go on. You know, you walk in the door and you have your bean team. And I was very grateful for my uh, Diet Coke that I picked up. I, I walked away from the donut. Um, but uh, they were there. Everything was clean and prepared and nice. People are smiling and welcoming you. The doors as you came in, we have, there were people welcoming. Um, you know, as you walked around the building, there's so many different things going on. So many teams that are coming together to make sure that we get in here, to make sure that everything's ready, that we can worship distraction-free. And even that right now, we've got some awesome children's ministry going on. I, I saw the little guys. are so cool. They're on the little rope, and uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that, but uh, the little four- and five-year-olds, they go from one side to the other uh, to go do worship over here. And uh, they're all lined up on this thing, you know, and they're all holding hands, but they're all walking, and they're all going, shh. You know, and, and there's a whole group of them, and there's dedicated adults who are in there to invest in the lives of our kids. Guys, they're serving with sincere hearts because no one, I'm going to tell you, I don't care how good of a person you are, no one wakes up on Sunday morning and says, oh boy, I cannot wait to go hang out with 54-year-olds. But they're doing it because they love Jesus and they know that there's an impact that they can have in that baby's life. And talking to them and giving truth and teaching them truth. Our elementary is doing that right now. But, you know, someone will say, well, I mean, you can't really teach a baby in nursery anything. Um, well, you can pray over them. You can spend time with them and tell them uh, that Jesus loves them. And I'm going to tell you what you're doing more as a parent. When I know I, I'm taking my child to a nice, clean, safe location, I know that most precious thing to me is being taken care of. And if they need me, they'll let me know. Um, it allows me to come in here and worship God without any distraction. Because, you know, kids are kids. We got four. Last night, I'm surprised Dairy Queen didn't call the cops on us. Listen, that's what our volunteers are doing this morning. That's what they're doing right outside these doors. I'm going to tell you something else. There's an opportunity what I get to do here, not only with our equipment campus, but I'm also involved with our life groups. And uh, Richard Rains is our life group director. And, and uh, you know, just reaching out to our leaders and, and engaging them and just seeing the amazing ministry that's occurring within our life groups. Let me just say, if, uh, without them, without our life groups um, uh, and our leaders in those areas, listen, mission wouldn't get accomplished here. The vision wouldn't be talked about. Ministry wouldn't happen. Because any of us can come here on Sunday morning, and this is an amazing thing, and the way I look at it is all the life groups coming back together to worship together. But the ministry occurs in those small groups when you can engage Scripture, when you can ask questions about what was talked about this morning, when you can tell those people those things that are going on in your life where you need prayer, you have a, a surgery coming up, um, they're going to be the first people there. They're going to be the ones mowing your grass. Those are the ones that are going to be reaching in and taking care of your life and teaching you not only truth in Scripture, but what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to be a leader for Christ. And all of that is occurring in these small groups where you can be completely real and you can be completely connected and you have those friends that we heard about on our student ministry this morning. Guys, God desires us to be in a community community 
And we find so much of that in our life groups. We see that this is a, just a premier uh, opportunity for ministry. These are our prayer warriors. They're praying for you. They're praying for this church. They're praying for this community. And like I said, they're going to be the first ones to celebrate your birthday. They're going to be the first ones to, to recognize when your child graduates high school or kindergarten. They're going to be the first ones there when you're going through a tough time and tragedy comes. They're also going to be the ones there to engage in life and to do life and to enjoy this life that he's given us. So I, first of all, I just want to, well, I guess last of all of that big long statement, if you're a life group leader and you're in here this morning, would you stand up real quick? If you lead a life group. Okay, they all come to second service. There you go. Let's give them a hand. They were all reluctant. They didn't know what I was going to ask them to do. <laughs> Listen, there's all kind of opportunities where you can get involved and be a leader. And you can serve. And these guys serve. And these ladies serve with a heart for Christ. A second characteristic of being... Um, a bond servant is that we have a God pleaser attitude. Verse six and seven says, "Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man." Here's what I want to say about that: Do we talk a good game? Do we tell all of our friends and our family, you know? Uh, how awesome our church is, how, how great God's working in our lives, and we're posting Scripture every day on Facebook, and everybody's liking it, and they're thinking, man, this guy just must live in his Bible, you know, and he's always got something positive to say, and all these great things are going on, yet in his personal life, and what's going on behind the scenes is not so pretty. We don't put on there that they had an argument with their wife that day, and they were calling each other names and they were telling each other they want a divorce and, and I don't, you know, I'm not getting my needs met and I'm not getting what I want. I want, I want, I want. It's, it's my turn. I need what I want. We don't put that on Facebook. We put selfies, you know, with us all happy, right? And we don't put selfies on there slamming doors. We don't put on there, we, you see all the graduation photos and you see all that and we celebrate all those awesome things, but we don't talk about having to sit down with our teenagers and talk about their addiction to porn. Or having to sit down and talk about sneaking out of the house or, or engaging in, in experimenting with drugs or any of the other things that could potentially catch them in a pitfall that they're not seeing the other side. We don't put that on Facebook because they say that's personal. But guys, I'm going to tell you, that's what's happening today in our families. Are we talking a good game? Are we just walking around like nothing's wrong and we've got it all together and I feel sorry for all those other people that are having problems? Man, that's terrible. Are we good at manipulating others to gain advantage? Do we work the system so we always come out on top? Are we looking how we can take advantage of our coworkers so we shine, so we can get the next promotion, so we can get to the next step? Do we manipulate within the church? Oh, I want to be a life group leader so I can be the boss of all these people. Listen, Jesus taught us if you're, going to be, if you're going to be first, you're going to have to be last. And he demonstrated that by getting down and washing his disciples' feet and showing them what a true leader does. A true leader makes their team shine. 
He lifts up his team. He was building his disciples. It wasn't all about him. God had already put him on a path, and he was going to the cross for us. He was about to be lifted up in the worst possible way. As we look at our lives, do we, are we looking for uh, the advantage in life? Are we, are we trying to find a place where we can get the greatest reward for the least amount of effort? I want to make a good investment. I want to put in a dollar and make a million. Does it work like that? Sometimes. <laughs> and if it does, you let me know what stock that was. I don't have any money to invest anyway, so it would be a dollar. But do we approach life like that? Let's get rich quick. Let's do this. You know, let's go on a diet and, you, you know, let's lose 100 pounds tomorrow. Let's, it doesn't work like that. When we look at this, are we here this morning so people will see us? Are we here because we want to learn more and be more like Jesus? Do you have a God-pleaser attitude? Do you work every single day? Do you talk to your kids every single day? Do you invest in your church every single day? Do you invest in your community every single day to please God? This is a characteristic of being a servant. The third is a confident mindset. In verse 8 it says, Knowing whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Guys, we can know without a doubt if we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and show that same sacrificial love to others, God will bless that. He will give you more opportunities to serve. He will give you more opportunities to share love to others. He will give you an opportunity to make disciples because that is what He has called us to do and called us to be. He told us those were the two commandments and then He gave us the commission to go and teach everybody that. So you better guarantee yourself that if you pray for those things and if you engage in those things that He will Work all those things out to His will. You will have more opportunities because it tells us um, in various verses that when we are faithful with a little, He gives us more. In His parable in Matthew 25, 21, um, He tells us that the Master said to the servant, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Now listen to the last part of this verse. Enter into the joy of your master. I want to stand in a place one day where God looks at me and says, you know what, you didn't waste your time. Good job. You took what I gave you. You took the specific gifts that I gave you, the opportunities that I gave you, and you did the best with them. You gave your 100%. You did exactly what I told you to do. And that's the whole premise of that parable that he tells in Matthew 25. And guess what? Did you realize that was occurring? He was teaching this um, right before his crucifixion. It was in that time period at the end of his ministry. He's telling his disciples one more time, listen, gifted you with certain things to honor God. Do not bury it in the dirt. Don't be so afraid to engage in the identity that you've been given, the life that you've been given, that you bury it and you do nothing for the kingdom. Don't do it. Because the Master's going to hold you accountable one day, and I want to stand, and I know you want to stand in a place where He looks at you and says, well done. Well done at your job. Well done with your kids. 
Well done with your church. Well done with your ministry. Well done with all the aspects that I set you out to do. You honored me. Well done. I don't want him to look at me like this last servant and go, you did nothing with what I gave you. I told you to go and and multiply and make disciples and you did nothing. You sat on the gift that I gave you and you buried it because you were afraid of what somebody was going to say. I don't want to be on that side. And finally, as we wrap up here today, just a few questions, statements really, but I want to highlight in Philippians 1.6 it says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Understand this, that the work that he's doing in your life, the gifts that he's given you, some of you guys are educators, teachers, work every single day and have a great skill set of how to communicate a curriculum to young people. Can I just say that there are children all over this building this morning that need your gift? I don't know how you guys do it. I pray for my kids' teachers every day, and that's not being facetious. I know what it's like. And that's just mine. I can't imagine multiplied by 30. There are places where you can use those gifts. Maybe um, you're just an expert in always the flower, you know, the sunshine of the room, and we all have those personalities. Listen, there is a place for that. There are people walking in this morning who are going through some of the worst times in their life. And the only thing uh, that they may remember today is that someone took their time to recognize them, to have a conversation with them, to engage in their life, and to encourage them in some small way. Guys, I could keep going down the list, but you know what you're gifted with. You know how God has made you. Are we just sitting on that? Are we just using it for our advantage? I can use these gifts that God gave me to make money, to make my living, to be comfortable um, in the areas of whatever it may be? Or am I going to serve God with everything He's given me? Here's the questions I'd like to pose as I close and then I'll pray and we can respond. The question to ask yourself, is it time to get off the sidelines? You know, one of the things I love, uh, you know, South Georgia, of course, we're big into football, right? And um, one of the things, if you're hungry as a player, you're standing on that sideline and you are just itching for the opportunity for that coach to turn around and look at you. You're ready. You've put in the practice, you've put in the time, you've got the gift and you've got the skill set. You just want to be utilized. And you're looking for that coach to turn around and say, get in the game. Is it time that we get off the sidelines? Are you the kind of player, am I the kind of player that's over there sitting on the bench, not engaged in the game, don't care what's going on on the field because I'm not on it and I'm pitching my little fit over there because I'm not a starter? Or am I sitting there on a knee waiting, just waiting, waiting for that guy to hit me in the back of the helmet and go? Is it time to get off the sidelines? Is it time to step up and be a leader? You've been walking with Christ for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. You're mature. You have a great knowledge of Scripture. But I'm very content just to sit back and let somebody feed. Let somebody else do it. There's not a need. 
They don't need me. I'll tell you right now, we look around this group this morning and there's 100,000 just in Lowndes County. We need you. We all need each other. It's time to step up and be a leader. It's a time to serve God with everything you are. 100% all in. Jesus said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. That's everything. Are there areas in your life where you're holding that back? Where you go, well, everything but this. That one's mine. I'm going to hold on to that. Are you 100% in? And then finally, is it time to get that right with Him this morning? The great thing about God is that He says uh, that He is long-suffering and that He is patient and that He offers us an opportunity in Romans. It tells us that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of those sins. So if we haven't been obedient, if we haven't been using our gifts, if we've been sitting on the sidelines either not engaged or, or whatever, and we know the gifts that He's given us, and we know the heart that we have. Maybe we've been trying to do all these things at work to position ourselves in a place of being given advantage. We haven't even thought about making our, our place, our community, uh, a place of ministry, a place of serving. Maybe we've looked around here and you say, you know what, I thought you know, all the ministries were taken care of while you got people who are working every single week in our rooms to teach our kids or are burning out because they need help. Maybe you said, well, I don't have time for a life group. And yet at the same time, you feel like you're disconnected, not part of the church. Because the only thing you experience is here on Sunday morning. Guys, listen, there's more. And when we align ourselves with what God is calling us to do and be, He will bless that. He's already begun a work in you. And He's going to keep doing that until it's the day of completion. My final prayer this morning is, that if you don't know Him, if you don't know who Jesus is, but this is an opportunity where literally the lights have come on, you said, so this is what it's about? So, so this is what Jesus is calling us to be? That, that that's what He's done for me? That He took my position of hopeless in the eyes of a righteous God, the holder of absolute truth. And I'm in a place where I'm desperate and I'm in need of a Savior and this light has shone on you. Listen, you can't discount that. That's a work of God. He's moving in your life this morning. And He is calling you to Himself. The glorious grace of this is He gives us an opportunity to respond and embrace Him. So if you don't know Him this morning, get it right with Him. If you're a believer and we've been living a halfway life, get it right with Him. Don't be content to sit where you are this morning and there's a lot of times where it requires us to get out of our comfort zone uh, and to come up. One of the things about praying up here, I'm telling you, uh, there's a lot of stuff, there's a lot of growth that happens in those steps you take. If you don't know Him, we'll introduce you to Him. Right after the service, come over here, talk to one of us. We'll be glad to talk about that. But if it's time this morning to get it right, to be the servant that God wants you to be, then do it. Don't be content to just keep doing it halfway. Let's pray. God, we thank you again so much for your grace, your mercy, the blessings in our life. And God, as we look at just that amazing grace that you've given us, God, that it propels us to being grateful 
that it propels us to giving 100%, that we're not willing to do a drill halfway, that we're not willing to do our, our, our job for you halfway, that we're not willing to parent our kids halfway, that, God, we're not willing to sit by and let others work while we're fully capable and do things halfway. God, we want to be all in this morning. God, we want to honor you with everything we are. Because we know when we do that, we're being obedient to what you've told us to do. And you will embrace us and tell us, well done, good and faithful servant. God, we love you this morning. We want to be and identify with you. Thank you again for this time and the opportunity that you offer us to come and confess those things and to get it right today. God, we love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.